My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Vine. Hey guys, before we jump into today's show, I wanted to mention again that Mecco Radio, in co-production with Williams Redlich Content Marketing, has produced a new show with yours truly as the host. It's called Broken Bulbs, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Last week I told you about it. This week, I've got a clip for you. In terms of being the creator of something, I functioned as a director. I was also acting in it. I was producing it. And what that leadership model looked like in my head was some very aggressive micromanaging. What made it even worse was that the micromanaging was happening because I didn't understand at that time what was required in order to really organize a group of people to work towards a common goal, the amount of communication that was required, the amount of planning, and then on the other side of that, the amount of letting go that is required when you have a really strong vision, but you have a really talented group of people who all are able to offer something, ideas, skills that you are not. (laughs) That's actually a clip from tomorrow's episode, which just so happens to be with today's guest on My Wax Museum, Grace Skinner. She was awesome. She gave some amazing insights into leadership and specifically, as you heard, letting go. If you are an entrepreneur or business leader or leader of any kind, I think that episode that comes out tomorrow will be amazing for you. Anyways, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Grace Skinner. Grace is a talented artist, specifically a movement artist. We talk about what exactly movement art is. We also talk about witchcraft, but most importantly, we talk about getting out and enjoying nature and how it can broaden our perspective and appreciation for the lives we live. And remember, after today's show, make five minutes in your day to listen intently to the people around you. Grace Skinner, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you, Alex. I'm so glad to be here. I always start every episode with how we know each other, just to kind of give a give a basis, give a premise. And I think our meeting is pretty similar to a lot of the other interviews that I've done recently. So if you want to fill the audience in, uh, how did we meet? So, and correct me if I'm wrong, I hopped onto a website that pairs podcasts with guests, guests with podcasts, and saw a posting for Broken Bulbs, which is another one of your podcasts, and submitted a, hi, I'm Grace Skinner. I saw this. I would love to be a guest. And you wrote back and we corresponded a few times to find a time that would work and then did an interview for Broken Bulbs. And after that, you asked if I'd be interested in speaking on this podcast. And absolutely, because it's just great talking to you. So here I am. Is that right? Excellent. Yeah, that that is exactly right. Yeah. I always like when I, when I have one guest on one show and I'm like, I just, I just need like a little bit more of a conversation with them. I'm like, this is so interesting. And it sucks because I end up because of all the podcasting that I do, I end up meeting so many different interesting people 
uh, that I want to bring on to all the other shows, but I kind of have to pick and choose. Otherwise, I'll have no I'll have no time to do all of it. So, but our conversation, I thought it went so well on Broken Bulbs um, that I was like, okay, let's have Grace on My Wax Museum. Let's chat more, hear about your story. So, with that, starting at the beginning of your story, where are you from originally? I was born in Denver, Colorado, which is where I live now. Yep. Denver, Colorado, 1989. I'll give my age away. So I'm 31. And I grew up in Denver. Yeah. I am from Denver, Colorado. That was the short answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. Cause I, I mean, it's a life is so much more complicated. So a lot of the time you're, you're like, well, I mean, like what was, what, you know, what is that story, right? What is the story of where I come from? And so uh, I'm curious then, did you grow up all your life in Denver? Yeah, I grew up all my life in Denver, born and raised. My parents are not from here. They were both transplants. My mom is from Michigan and my dad grew up along the southern and eastern seaboard, uh, but landed in Oklahoma. And they actually met at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. And my dad was living here. My mom moved out and this is where they settled. That's awesome. That's really great. And it's it's so fascinating hearing, you know, how different people come together and stuff. So your experience growing up in Denver um, I had a layover there once, but could you tell me a little bit about like what the city is like, what the people are like, what you're just, I guess, generally uh, how you saw it as a kid? Yeah, how you see things as a kid. It's all that you know. Denver as a city at that time was quite small. I spent some time recently driving through Kansas and I feel like Denver was more the size of Kansas City or another smaller, well, mid-level, mid midwestern town. It's become much more populated in the last five to 10 years. But then it was relatively small and traffic was not a thing that I remember the downtown was not particularly impressive, had a few skyscrapers, but that was it. It is right where the plains meet the mountains. So there's this interesting convergence of natural landscape that is what I think Denver is really known for this gateway to the Rockies. So the population here enjoys going, not everyone, but there is a significant amount of the population that enjoys going into nature, going up to the mountains, going to other natural features here, like the sand dunes, going rafting and biking and hiking and skiing, of course. So we have all of these amazing ski resorts that that was actually what brought my mom out here. They skied back in Michigan and she came out on a school trip and went skiing here and opened her eyes to 
mountains and what skiing was like on a mountain instead of a hill in Michigan. And she had decided then she was going to come back. So when I was growing up, it was a lot of going camping and then in the wintertime ski lessons and going up on Saturday and spending all day on the slopes and then driving home at night and there was depending on the season always something to be doing in the mountains so that informed a lot of my childhood and my parents are are both very savvy outdoors people so there was a lot of time spent in even if it wasn't remote nature, which it hardly ever was because try taking a kid out into remote nature, no thank you. But going to campgrounds in the mountains and spending time outside. Yeah, I so I I I'm from the foot of the Rockies, just a little further north. And uh, and I I can concur being able to go out and enjoy and and participate in all of that nature um, any time of the year is is amazing. So I, I'm curious. You mentioned that as a kid, you kind of didn't seem quite as into it. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. At least like going further out into nature. Uh, when maybe your parents might have been more up for roughing it. Is that something that's changed for you over time? Have you become more accustomed? To, and maybe maybe why has that changed, if it has? Great question. When I was a kid, and I don't know that this is uncommon, you hit hour four or five of skiing and you'll see it. You'll be sitting on a chairlift and there's a kid that's flat on their backs, spread eagle, or just face down. And their parents are trying to get them up to get back down the hill. And they're just done. They're done. They're done right there. They're not going to be done at the bottom. They are done right there. And I remember that happening with skiing, not being real excited about it or as excited as my mom was about it. I remember enjoying camping, but I think a big part of that was we'd go with family friends. So there were other kids there and that was very exciting. As I got into my middle school and high school years, there was less of an interest in that because I was much more focused on wearing clothes from forever 21 and the social dynamics and being available to go to the mall with my friends on the weekend. And I'm saying all of this and it's making my head hurt <laughs> thinking back, but those are what your, those are what my priorities were in, in high school. And then in college, I was out of the state for a time. And when I came back, I remember getting a ski pass. They offer a ski pass that covers multiple resorts here. And, and I committed to that one. So I was, willing to pay a significant amount of money to have access to ski resorts. And I was going up almost every weekend, even by myself. And over the last 10 years, I moved out of state again. I was in Los Angeles. But at the end of that time in Los Angeles, even I remember buying a camp stove and I got a sleeping bag and a backpack and I read Wild by Cheryl Strand, which is all about her hiking on her own 
the trail between Mexico and Canada on the West Coast. Can't remember now what it's called. And there was this interest that was building in getting outside and enjoying nature in new ways where my interest definitely had had waned or had transitioned to other things for 10 years plus. And I have just started to get back to a place where I'm interested and excited by the prospect of being outside. That, that's interesting how, how your interests change like that and how maybe something that you weren't as interested in or maybe got tired out by as a kid kind of become things that you're like, Oh, you know, like, it's not so bad. I kind of like this. And you start buying the camp, camp stove and you start buying the sleeping bag, right? So what what was the shift that happened that that moved your perspective over this way? Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you speak back what you had heard in my response, because I think as a kid, I really enjoyed being outside. I really enjoyed going skiing. But as a kid, you're on someone else's schedule oftentimes, and adults have an endurance that in certain areas and arenas you just don't have. And so as an adult, the real gift is that you have the ability to make your schedule and move at a pace that's your own when it comes to activities that you're engaging in for fun. And what's, what's coming into my mind now as an answer to that question is that there has been a gradual curiosity that's blossomed, to use flowery language, around the idea of what do we need? And I'm sitting, for example, right now in an apartment that's not very big. It's less than 500 square feet, but it has heating. I'm sitting next to a portable air conditioning unit. I have a gas stove. I have water. I have curling irons and flat irons and kombucha and pots and pans and more shoes than I could wear in a day. And I'm very intrigued as I get older by this idea of what of that do I need in order to survive? And starting to recognize through my 20s and now into my 30s, starting to recognize the quality of life that I enjoy. And when I say that, I mean, I can go and turn the faucet on and water that I can drink comes out. I can turn on a stove and I can cook food. I can go to a grocery store and buy food to cook. And there are places in the world where there is not potable water. There's definitely not indoor plumbing. You don't cook over a huge gas stove. You don't have one to five toilets in your home. There's a, an interest as I became aware of that of, well, what is it to go out into nature where none of that exists? 
And especially, I think, getting away from busy streets and tall buildings and the noise of the city and surrounding yourself in what has existed long before you or I ever were around lends so much perspective. Even being at a campground that's maintained and has a camp host, but being surrounded by mountains and trees and a stream, I always find that I'm reminded of my place in things. And it helps me to maintain perspective on my life. I forgot what the question was, but that was the answer. Yeah, no, I, I, I love it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't fully remember the question either, but I think that was such a good answer. As you've gotten older, you've started wondering these things and, and started looking further outside of yourself and really acknowledging that, yeah, man, in Denver, you, you know, turn on the tap, magic water comes out. That's like totally drinkable, right? What else could you want, right? Like it's, it's crazy. And so then I wonder, um, was there, was there an experience that led you this way? Um, or was it just kind of over time as you've gotten into adulthood, you've started thinking about these things more? Um, or may, maybe did somebody teach you this? Like maybe your parents, because you mentioned that they were outdoorsy. Um, so where does that perspective come from and how does it continue to develop that way? I definitely credit my parents for a lot of the perspective that I have around nature a lot of what I'm saying comes from what I've learned from my dad, especially, who also is an avid hunter. He, he has done so many backpacking trips, so many rafting trips, so many insert type of outdoor trip here, and he has done it. And this idea of valuing natural resources and understanding ecosystem and environment and a lot of what I'm talking about now I can trace back to him talking about those subjects when I was growing up. I think a big influence in my current perspective was moving to LA actually because there's nothing like living in a immense, a huge metropolitan center to really give you perspective on, on city life and living inside of a city like that. I was able to go to, because California has so many national parks nearby. I was able to go to the Grand Canyon. I was able to go to Yosemite. And there's always such a, a such an incredible contrast and, and reframing that happens when you leave LA and you go somewhere like Yosemite and then you come back or you leave LA and you go to the Grand Canyon and then you come back. And I couldn't help but look around and go, wow, 
look at all of these things that we've built. And then I think that starts the process of considering the impact of a city, the impact of cars, the impact of all these things that we have. That is interesting. I, I think it's fascinating that you describe your time in California as, you know, this contrast between the big city and incredible nature and and how that helped give you that perspective. Now that you're back in Denver, how do you how do you kind of apply that perspective? What do you do to get out there and to enjoy nature and and kind of escape from from that, I guess, what we've built? COVID was a significant turning point in all of this because indoor spaces were not accessible anymore. So aside from your apartment or the homes of people in your quarantine, for a period of time there, depending on where you lived, but certainly here in Colorado, you weren't going into indoor spaces, utilizing them the way that we had been. No restaurants. You weren't going into a gym. You weren't going and seeing friends in their apartments or homes. Out, the outdoors became a space that you could access and that you could enjoy. It eventually became the place where everyone would meet. So you'd go to, even in the city, you'd go to a park instead of meeting your friends at a restaurant. And pretty early on, end of May, middle of May, somewhere in there, started to go to the mountains on the weekends to do camping trips, to go hiking, because you could. So the other thing that I found to be really valuable about nature during this time is that with all of the with all of the things that are happening in the city, even, even on a really personal scale for me, right? Like I, my industry, the, the industry that I worked in, I was in live events that dissolved almost overnight. So my income, my primary stream of income went away and unemployment was wonderful for a while, but my income has slowly become more and more impacted. So like the apartment that I'm in, I'm not going to be I'm going to be moving at the end of the month. So as there was this turnover in my personal life and all of these things are falling away because of COVID, I could still go to the mountains. And even though our mountains are on fire right now, there are a bunch of forest fires that are still burning in our state. You could go to the mountains. They were there. <laughs> and it didn't matter for a few days what was happening in my life here, I was able to be there, collect myself and then come back. And I think that's been so helpful as far as my overall state of mind, my mental health. I, I like that, um, that you said it's something that we could do, right? That was the option. That's, <laughs> well, I wanna go out. Okay, well, you're gonna be out in the mountains. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm curious for you is this 
going to be a permanent shift? Are you going to continue going out to the mountains? Or do you think you'll kind of uh, shift back maybe or to, to normal, I guess, or whatever normal was before this? I think that for me, the gift of COVID is that it pushed me towards a lifestyle that I have wanted to explore or that is more aligned with values that I want to embody anyway. For example, going back to my income, it went away. So immediately I was sitting down and looking at my budget and anything that's non-essential goes away because I, I cannot afford it anymore. Got down that expense, that expense, that expense, that expense, finally saw the apartment. I was like, oh, frick. So that's gone now. And then things like looking at my car. Do I need to have a car? Do I not? If I feel like I need one, why? Is it because I've always had a car? I've been so intrigued for years since living in LA where you spend all your time in your car. What is it like to set up your lifestyle in a way where you can bike or walk everywhere or you share a car, say, with a significant other where you don't own a car? I remember sitting on the highway in LA, rush hour traffic, everybody's moving two miles an hour, and you look and almost every single car has one person in it. And I was the same. So I'm sitting there being Judgy McJudgerson. And then I look at my own situation and I think, okay, like slow your roll. You're doing the exact same thing. And I remember realizing then, do you need that? And now that I'm in this situation, which a lot of things could bring on, a global pandemic is a very dramatic event to destabilize everything. But I find myself looking at these things that I have pondered before, but because of the circumstances, I'm willing to consider it in a new and very real, actionable way where I am really considering selling my car. I'm really considering giving up this. I'm really considering giving up that. So as far as going back to things, and and I I hear the the when things go back to normal and I, in my own mind, think there is no such thing. There's pre-COVID and there's post-COVID. And so what we're in now is post-COVID and that will be what it is. There's no return to normal that doesn't exist anymore. I don't, I don't believe that. So now in post-COVID, I leave a lot of space for myself, of course, to cycle and change and adjust in the future, who knows what will feel most aligned at that point. But for right now, absolutely. Really leaning into the new wisdom that's been revealed to me in the process of having everything stripped away. Sure. As far as where I am right now, I would absolutely continue down this path. I think that's awesome. I think you're you're taking a situation that has been rough for everybody and and you're saying, "Wait a second. This is allowing me to really look at my life and look at my lifestyle and and consider the things that 
might maybe be good changes to to have made now and then to carry on in the future. Hey guys, Future Alex here, just reminding you that we do have an Instagram and it's filled with bonus content. I'm gonna share a little clip with you here. It's a bit of a uh, precursor for what's coming up next on the show. What's the most quirky thing about you? Another one, I'm not sure. I feel like there are a lot of potentially quirky things because I feel like looking into anybody else's life, it'll be different than yours. I am super witchy. That's maybe a quirky thing. I have a, it partly started as a joke and then I realized, no, I actually absolutely align with that pagan mindset, meaning ritual observance and worship of nature. And then I started getting tarot cards and a witch's hat and- This is awesome. I love that. So that maybe. Okay. I'm leaning into okay. the witchy. Well, now that you've brought it up twice in the <laughs> okay. questions, it's definitely going to be something I ask more about. Uh, so if you want more awesome bonus content like that, you can follow us at My Wax Museum on Instagram. It's easy, right? It's just the name of the show, at My Wax Museum. Now, back to the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation and kind of how we focused on like, this um this love for this love for nature and this this change in this shift that that you're going through and you know you can see that as a theme throughout your life through you know constantly maybe seeking this um so as we kind of lead into the last few minutes here, I had so many other things that I wanted to ask you about, including witchcraft um, and and magic. <laughs> I and uh, may, maybe maybe someday because uh, you brought that up in those questions, and I'm just I'm so, okay. Actually, okay, take two two minutes two minutes. Explain to me um, magic, uh, what it is that you believe about it, and then also like how you came to that too, briefly. It ties in very much with nature. I remember, I remember becoming aware in being in nature that there are forces that are so much bigger than we are able to comprehend. And I think that in the history of humanity, this force has been given lots of different names and religions have come up around it and Nature is a physical manifestation of this unseeable, uh, uncomprehendable energy force. And it is so humbling to me and has led to my investigation of when I said paganism, that really is what it is. There are fantastic articles online. I, I read one, I stumbled upon it and uh, the more I read it, I realized, oh, that absolutely aligns with me. I subscribe to that. Of course, it's this acknowledgement of seasonal changes. It's this recognition of your place as a small part of a much larger ecosystem and environment and this honoring and this ritualistic honoring of the ebbs and flows of the natural world. And it applies directly to mysticism, which is, I think, 
much like Harry Potter in the fifth book, when he goes into the department of mysteries and there's the veil that, you know, that, that the dead are behind it's the other side. And I think that there's a very thin veil between the natural physical world that you can see and this energetic world that we can't, but nature has helped me to learn it's the most exquisite metaphor for cycling and transformation. And there's so much that's happening like right out of sight. And so I see nature as the physical representation of this energy that you can become attuned to feeling, but that you can't see. And it's the sort of, when I say magic, what I mean is this, this force that works on you, on everything around you, but you have to get very quiet to feel it or see it. And one way, for example, that I've seen this at play is when you decide to speak something into the world, when you say for the first time, oh, I want to climb this mountain. Oh, I want to learn how to do aerial silks. And it's almost as if it shifts something and the whole unseen universe starts to conspire to bring you closer to that thing. And I've experienced that for myself. People talk about it with manifestation and this and that, but it's very subtle and it's nuanced and it's not wands and people waving them and sparks are flying out and owls are turning into teacups. It's, it's not that. I think it's actually much more profound than that. And I think it happens every day, but it's this shifting of the energy of everything. And it ties in again to, to your perspective on things. What you think is how you interact with your world or how you think is how your world interacts with you, right? So this idea of if you want to move in the direction of something, you have to start shifting everything in your being in order to move towards that. Because if you aren't completely embodying that thing, the energy of things is not going to open up to allow you to get there, right? There's so much more to this. I feel like there are TED Talks on TED Talks on TED Talks and whole books written about this. But I think the natural world is the metaphor that taught me or that opened up my ideas and my mind to the possibility that things are much bigger and you can't quite label it. So one example, the, the only example I'll give is I went on this backpacking trip and we're hiking out and we hiked through a part of the forest that had been burnt years before in a huge forest fire. You have downed charred trees all over the place. And then you look down and that fire had cleared the way for this really beautiful growth of wildflowers and small aspen trees and 
in that moment, I remember, I remembered, right. At this point in my life, COVID has essentially laid waste to this future that I thought I was moving towards, like a forest fire ripping through a forest. But in that moment, I realized, right, forest fires come through and though they're very destructive, they are what burn up all of this underbrush and these dead trees and they make way for something new to grow. So if you pay attention and you look up and you open your eyes, you can see the most extraordinary things that can plant a seed right in me to view my world differently. And if that's not magic, I don't know what is. Yeah, I love I love that. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of hoping for magic wands and like sparks and stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I love that. I love how profound and and beautiful that that is. That idea of looking around at the nature around us, and that ties perfectly in with our whole conversation here. Um, so so with that, I'll ask the the question that I always ask at the end of these interviews. At the end of your life, when you're looking back at everything you've accomplished, both you know up to this point and then up to whenever the end is, what are the things that you're looking back on uh, with the most pride and satisfaction? I feel the most proud and the most satisfied about my willingness to be curious. I feel very strongly that curiosity is the greatest gift that I've been given. And if it's not something that you're given, it's the most important skill that I've cultivated. And when I say curiosity, what I mean is observation with interest, it's asking a question. And most importantly, curiosity for me, when I'm really experiencing curiosity, I am not feeling judgment. I remember a teacher of mine in college, Rocco Dalvera, who was one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. He's since passed, but I remember him discussing, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a performing artist, and he was making the, the point or the observation that for artists, especially actors, not especially, any, any artist, and I think that this applies to any human being, judgment is not useful because you can look at, you can look at a human being behaving in a way that doesn't align with your personal morals or sense of hygiene or etiquette. And you can say, oh, that's disgusting, or oh, they're behaving so poorly, or, but as a performing artist, you may be called upon to play someone who is behaving exactly the way that that person is. And in order to do that with integrity and nuance and subtlety and really breathe life into that performance, it's important to be able to observe and study them 
and, and wonder why are they doing that? Oh, interesting. Why is that happening? Huh? I wonder why they made that choice instead of assigning good, bad, right, wrong, that sort of thing. And so it's not useful to you to do that. Judgment is only going to keep you from embodying that character in the fullest way possible. So when you can step outside of that and explore and discover, then the, op the opportunities are limitless. And I took that lesson and I feel like I applied it and or aimed to apply it to everything that I'm doing, even seeing, for example, a forest fire. And you could think, oh, man, that's so destructive. Oh, that landscape is so ugly. But with curiosity, it could also be, oh, wow, that's what a burnt tree looks like. Man, fire is powerful. Oh, wait, look at these other things that are growing. I wonder if those things are growing because a forest fire came through. It shifts. It shifted my whole perspective. And now I feel like every time that I'm in a situation or a circumstance that feels awful, I'm able to sit in it and it's allowed me to make decisions or be engaged in my life in a way that doesn't feel rushed. It cultivates more gratitude and it allows me to, to have a little more wonder about everything. <laughs> So I think that, that that mindset is what I'm most proud of. I love that. Um, and I, I think, you know, living your life with curiosity allows it to be a life well lived. I think that is mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. So I just have one last question for you here. Uh, you mentioned that you're an artist. Um, and, and you're a movement artist specifically, I guess is kind of the general term. Um, and so would you mind uh, sharing with us where people can go to see your work and where people can go to, to follow you and what you do in your professional life? Yeah, absolutely. So pre COVID, I was uh, an associate and breakout producer for live events. Whenever they come back online, i We'll return to doing that part of the time. Since COVID, I have really leaned into providing creative mentorship to anyone who's interested that because of my theater background and my movement background, if you're a business professional who wants to feel more confident in presentations, come find me. If you are an aerialist who wants to dive into creative work around storytelling, come find me. If you are an actor who is putting together monologues, wants to do scene work, is investigating how to be more fully in your body, come find me. You can find me at www.graceskinner.com. I'm on Instagram, which is Aside from my YouTube page, I would say my Instagram is my most curated body of work. It goes back the farthest. If you're curious about what's a movement artist, you mentioned Ariel. What is that? You can find me at grace.skinner. I'm on YouTube. Search my name, grace.skinner. And I'm also on Patreon. 
under my name, Grace Skinner. Love it. Well, Grace, thank you so mm-hmm. much for joining me uh, today for the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Alex. This is such a pleasure. I've always, I always enjoy sitting down and talking with you. And thank you for listening, not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you, the people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.